Our text this morning is in Genesis 40 and 41. The sermon is entitled, Liberated and Exalted. This is the story that picks up where we left off last week with Joseph in prison. If you're new with us, we are in a year-long series in the book of Genesis, and we are now uh, here in these last 10 chapters uh, looking at the life of Joseph. And Joseph, favored son of Jacob, is sold into slavery by his brothers. The, the uh, uh, slave traders take him down to Egypt. He is bought by a wealthy, powerful man named Potiphar. And the Lord is, we saw last week on multiple occasions in chapter 39, with Joseph. And that was the point of last week's sermon, that the Lord was with Joseph while he was in Egypt. And God blessed the hands of Joseph, and he rose to a position of prominence outside of Potiphar himself. He was the most powerful man in Potiphar's house. Everybody answered to Joseph, even at such a young age. And yet, because of the uh, temptation and then lies of Potiphar's wife, Joseph finds himself in Pharaoh's prison. He went from being sold into slavery to being exalted over one of the most powerful houses in Egypt to now in the very worst place one could imagine. It's here that we pick up with our story in Genesis 40 and 41. But before I begin the exposition of the text, let me make two notes. First, even though we're going through two chapters, I am going to run relatively quickly through the exposition. That's, if that word is foreign to you, that's the explanation of the text. Normally we spend a lot of time in the text, but I've got some points I wanna make at the end today. And so I'm gonna move quickly through these two chapters. So you're gonna to need to stick with me. It's all narrative. It's telling one unified story, these two chapters are. You may be, if you're a student of God's word, familiar with these two chapters. These two chapters involve four different dreams, two that Joseph interprets in prison and two that he interprets for Pharaoh. And our temptation is often to read this story and transpose the events of Joseph's life into our own. You may have been told or even taught at some point in your life that if you will just be patient as Joseph was patient in the pit, and if you'll just have enough faith that God's going to do something, that eventually the Lord will exalt you over Egypt, metaphorically speaking, in your life, temporarily speaking, applying this text to your own life situation, thinking that if you'll just go through this period of trial that the Lord has for you and have enough faith in it, that eventually you're going to have earthly and material and temporal blessing out of it. Not only is that dangerous teaching, but to make this story somehow about our own temporal blessing and our own position of authority in this world is to miss the beauty of what God is actually doing here. Here's what I want you to see. And so I'm gonna spend a fair bit of time at the end making some whole Bible connections for us because there is an incredibly beautiful story that God is telling that this, these, these two events in the life of Joseph are a part of and they foreshadow for us the rest of scripture. So please don't walk out of here thinking, well, I'm in this pit and God's going to, like, physically speaking, like I'm in this pit of life and God's going to, if I'm faithful enough, give me, you know, a boss job and, and authority and the promotion and the big house and the big car, because that's, that's not how we're intended to read this. 
we read it faithfully, we're going to see an incredible picture that ultimately leads us to Jesus himself. So number one, Joseph faithfully and patiently waits in prison. While in prison, Joseph meets two officers of Pharaoh. Look at verses one through four. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now, here's what we know just setting the scene. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. We know that at the end of chapter 41, he's going to be 30 years old, and two years is going to pass between the end of chapter 40 and the beginning of chapter 41. So Joseph is somewhere between 17 and 28 years old. Now, he had already risen to prominence in, in Potiphar's house, so it's very likely that Joseph is in his early to mid-20s at this point. And we know from the end of Genesis 39 that he has been placed, just like he was in Potiphar's house, he's been placed over everything in, this, in Pharaoh's prison. Everything that happens there has been placed under Joseph. And these two very special inmates come and are imprisoned there. And we're told they're continue in custody for some time. We don't know how long, but it's very important to note that Joseph, already having risen to prominence in prison, is now put uh, the, the two most important people in that prison are now put into his care. One of these people is Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. This would be the person that is responsible for what Pharaoh drinks. He would be the one to test what Pharaoh drinks and ensure that Pharaoh is not being assassinated by some type of poison. The other is his chief baker. This is the person, obviously, that is going to bake the food for Pharaoh. So both of these hold Pharaoh's life in their, in, in their respective hands, right? Both of these guys uh, are, are responsible for a great deal and their jobs were important, their offices were important, and now because they're in custody at the order of Pharaoh, keeping them there is very important. They've been entrusted to Joseph. Both of these guys will have dreams. Here's what we're going to see. Just as we saw at the beginning of the story of Joseph, Joseph dreams two dreams, here in chapter 40, the cupbearer and the baker are going to dream two dreams. And then when we get to the next chapter, Pharaoh's going to dream two dreams. So the, the, this is it's a literary device, right? It's intending to tie all of these things together. So these two men are going to dream dreams, and then Joseph's going to interpret their dreams. We're going to pick up in verse 5. I'm going to read all the way down to 19. So hold on with me. One night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in prison each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them uh, in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is not, no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossoms shot forth and clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed it into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. 
the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and says, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. All right. So two different dreams. The first by the cupbearer. The cupbearer has this dream of of grapevines growing, squeezing the grapes, giving it to Pharaoh. And Joseph said, in three days, you're going to be restored to your former position. The baker hears it. And he says, I had a similar dream. There were three baskets of bread on my head. But the top one, the birds were all eating. And Joseph said, the meaning of your dream is that in three days, Pharaoh is going to put you to death. Now, let me make one quick just interpretive note, and then we're going to look at a couple of things that are important here. The first, this is intended to be descriptive, not prescriptive. This is one of the most important biblical principles you can understand as far as it relates to interpreting the Bible. You have to ask yourself, Is the Bible giving me something that is normative, meaning I'm supposed to do it and practice it? Or is it just describing something that happened once and is not intended to be applied to regular life? This is descriptive, meaning it's telling us something that happened. It's not prescribing something that we do. So I just got done for the last month on our Wednesday night equips. Many of you have been here in person or online. teaching about spiritual gifts. Do you notice one of the spiritual gifts or or something that I never mentioned as a spiritual gift is the interpretation of dreams. Why? Because that's not mentioned in the New Testament as a spiritual gift. Just because Joseph has the ability to do that here doesn't mean you need to, you know, go looking into every dream that you have for some type of mysterious interpretation. It's not that the Lord can't speak through dreams. I'm not limiting God here, but we shouldn't expect that he would because he has spoken to us through his word. We we don't need to have dreams like this because we have the Bible. And so instead of giving yourself over, if you're tempted to do this, instead of giving yourself over to mystical things, why not just devote yourself to God's word? You're gonna have a far more effective Christian life. You just devote yourself to God's word. So this is descriptive. We're we're being told something that happened in history and how God worked through it. Now notice what Joseph professes to be true in verse 8. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. So Joseph, having risen to prominence in Potiphar's house because God had blessed him, having now risen to prominence in the prison because God has blessed him, has remained faithful and obedient to God, both as we saw last week in the penthouse and in the pit. Okay, And Joseph is become known as this guy whom the Lord has blessed. 
And that's why he phrases the question the way he does. Do not interpretations belong to God? It's as if Joseph is saying, shouldn't you have known to come to me? Aren't I known as a guy whom God has blessed? And then when we get to the end of the dream of the cupbearer and the interpretation of the cupbearer, Joseph asks him something. He tells him, I was stolen. I shouldn't even be in Egypt. It's not my fault that I'm in Egypt. It's not my fault that I'm in prison. So you were my, will you remember me that I was put into this? And he calls it a pit. And it's a prison, but he refers to it as a pit. And that's going to help us visually as we move forward uh, into the rest of the scriptures here in a minute. So what Joseph does is he interprets these two dreams. One's going to be restored to his position. One's going to be killed. He interprets the dreams. They become reality, but then ultimately is forgotten in prison. Pick up in verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief cupbearer as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now we've seen four dreams in the life of Joseph so far, two that he had at an early age, two that are are now other dreams that he's interpreting. These are the first two to come true. Ultimately, all six will come true. We're gonna see two more dreams here in a moment. Ultimately, all six will come true, but these are the first two that come true. That what God is doing is God is affirming his work in Joseph's life by Joseph saying, this is what God is saying in this specific circumstance to this cupbearer and to this baker, and it happens. And yet, the guy that he had told, you're going to get out of prison, please remember me, has forgotten him. That's the story of Joseph in prison with the two servants of Pharaoh. But this story is directly connected to what happens in the next chapter. In the next chapter, the Lord liberates and exalts Joseph to accomplish his purposes. Look at, we're going to read uh, the first 13 verses of Genesis 41. We're going to see that Pharaoh has two dreams and his officer remembers, finally, after two years, remembers Joseph. After two whole years. So two years have passed. That had to have taken place. Those dreams needed to have taken place when Joseph was 28, because we're going to be told at the end of this story that he was 30 when he finally gets out of prison. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep. And dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me, in the chief, put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, uh, was, was with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted for us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. 
So, first thing to mention is that there are two years have passed. And I think that it's important that two years have passed. And what we want to do in our own flesh is, is look, back, look down upon the cupbearer, right? But that's not the point. Here's, here's why two years have passed. Here's why it's important that the biblical author notes that for us. He notes that for us because this whole story, 40 and 41, is about the work of God, not about the work of Joseph. It's about the work of God, not about the work of Pharaoh or the work of the cupbearer and the baker. This story is about God. And this is about God's timing. And it was in God's timing. Now, God could have the very next day, because who is the one that's bringing these dreams? The Lord is. So God could have given Pharaoh uh, the dream about the cows and the dream about the corn in the, in the very next day after the cupbearer had gotten out of prison. That would seem fair to us, right? That would seem right. Joseph didn't deserve to be in that pit, but here he was anyway. But the Lord waits two whole years because the Lord has his own timing. The Lord is, is working in a way that he is working and his timing is not ours. And we don't understand his timing. And as we move out of this story into the rest of the narrative of the Bible, it, it's gonna be important for us to note that, that God is going to work in strange ways at strange times, not always in the way that those who are in the know think that he should. So don't read this as bad about the cupbearer. Recognize that this is the timing of God. Now, Joseph is going to interpret these two dreams for Pharaoh just as he interpreted the two dreams for his officers. Pick up in verse 14 and 15. Then, jo then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that... You, that uh, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, what happens between verses 16 and verse 24 is Pharaoh tells the same thing that we had already seen in the previous verses. So I'm not going to read that. Here's, Pharaoh has got to be at his like final straw, right? He's already called his wise men. They didn't know what it meant. He already called his magicians. He didn't know what it meant. So, so this is both the learned people of Egypt and the religious people of Egypt. Neither of those people are able to give him a dream. And this is obviously wrecking Pharaoh because he's willing to go into prison and take this Hebrew out of prison and say, tell me what this means. So Joseph does. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh were one, meaning they're the same dream. They have the same message. The, the previous two dreams had two different messages. This one has one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blight by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream meant that, this, that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select and discern uh, a wise uh, and wise man and let him 
uh, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming and store up grain, the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That that food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So the same dream, two dreams, same interpretation. We're gonna have seven good years. We're gonna have seven bad years. That's what the cows, that's what the corn mean. Don't get focused on cows and corn, okay? God has spoken to Pharaoh. And Joseph, don't miss this. Joseph looks at the most powerful ruler in the world. And if you'll research, you know, middle period Bronze Age uh, empires, Egypt really stands alone. And this man is revered as a God by his people. He's not a God, but he's revered as a God in Egypt. And Joseph looks at him and says, God, has told you. And not only does he say God has told you, and this is something that we miss in the English translation that we understand in the original language. In in verse 25, in verse 28, and in verse 32, Joseph refers to God. And in it, he says, he calls God Ha Elohim. Now, Elohim, you're, you're used to. We've talked about the difference between Elohim and Yahweh and these, these personal and general names for God. The word ha in the, in the Hebrew language is uh, our word the, all right? It's the definite article, meaning there is but one. And in all three cases, the God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The God has shown to Pharaoh The God has fixed this, and the God will shortly bring it about. Joseph is looking at the most powerful man in the world who people think is a God and say, you're not a God. The God is going to do this. The God is going to do this. This is how Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh, that there will be seven years of plenty, there will be seven years of famine, and because he made you dream this twice, your clock starts now. Okay, like you're on the clock, it's happening, you better get this thing together. Then Joseph is placed over all of Egypt during the years of abundance. Pick up in verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without uh, your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zappanath Paniah. We're just going to call him Joseph though, okay? And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, 
king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt during the seven years of plenty, uh, during, during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He uh, put in every city the food from the field around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Whew. So here's what happens. Pharaoh's like, that sounds like a great idea, and I think you're the guy for it. And the key verse in all of this is verse 38. Can we... Can, Uh, Can we find a man like this and whom is the spirit of God? Potiphar, the head of the prison, and now Pharaoh. This is not Pharaoh's profession of faith in the one true God. And actually, he does not call him the same thing that Joseph called him. He doesn't call him Ha Elohim. He just calls him Elohim. So this is not Pharaoh saying there's one true God. But he does recognize that there is at least a God we know it's the one true God. But the, in Pharaoh's, there's at least a God working through Joseph. And that's, that's what's happening here. And so Joseph is, Joseph kind of, think about it like this. He, he's now baptized into being an Egyptian. That's what, the, that's what so much of the rest of this meant. The clothes, the position of authority, the chariot, the wife, all of this is Pharaoh attempting to take Joseph, now his second in command, and making him an Egyptian so that he can exercise this authority and bring about this plan. And Joseph does it, and by the hand of God, the work of Joseph over the course of those seven years yields so much produce that's stored up that nobody can even count it. The last time we've seen uh, language like this, sand of the seas. It was the promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they were going to become a great nation, so great that the people wouldn't even be counted. That's intended to, be, to have our minds drawn to it here, that the fruit of Joseph's hand is so great by the blessing of God. And we get this little aside in verses 50, 51 and 52, where Joseph actually has two sons, but notice he gives them Hebrew names. Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, uh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, there's, there's more to this than I have time to deal with this morning. So let me just mention this. All of this stuff that Pharaoh heaps upon Joseph's shoulder, gold chain, chariots, you know, strategically giving him a wife whose father is this great priest, right? All of this, and Joseph has two sons, and what does he do? He gives them Hebrew names. Why is that important for the text? Because all of that heaped on Joseph did not change Joseph one bit. Whether he's in the penthouse, the pit, or now he's in the palace, Joseph is still committed to God. And finally, all of the earth looked to Egypt for provision during the seven years of famine. Let's finish out the chapter. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph said there was famine in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you do. 
So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Now don't miss verse 57. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So Joseph's plan works. They stack up grain to the point that nobody can even count it. And boom, just like God says, now seven years of famine starts and everybody in Egypt has something to eat because God was faithful to, what, to do what he had revealed through Joseph that he would do. And not only that, the whole key to this thing is right here at the, at the very end. All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. It is through Joseph that God saves all the earth. Now, all the earth here is, this is, this is a linguistic term, not literally meaning every person on the whole face of the planet. This is talking about the land in which they lived, the surrounding nations of, of Egypt, right? So it would have been, we're gonna see next week, Joseph's own family come. So this would have been that Mesopotamia, Egyptian, Northern Africa, Middle East area. They all look to Egypt for salvation and they find salvation in Egypt because of Joseph. And ultimately, because through Joseph, God has provided for, quote unquote, all the earth. Now here's why that matters. So what? Throughout redemptive history, the Lord liberates and exalts his people. I told you at the beginning, if we try to make this about some type of temporal blessing, we are going to greatly miss the beautiful story that God is telling throughout the scriptures. And this is the story that God tells over and over again in the Old Testament. People in the pit are raised out of it, liberated out of it, and exalted for the glory of God. This is what we see. Begins in Genesis 12, 3, where God promises to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and in him whom dishonor you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, where did we leave off with this narrative that all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain? Now, the end of chapter 41 is not the ultimate fulfillment of Genesis 12, 3. It's a, it's a glimpse of it. And this is how we need to view Genesis 40 and 41. We need to view it as a glimpse of what God is doing, that God is telling this gigantic story spanning thousands of years and this little story of Joseph in this prison raised to prominence in Pharaoh's house is, is, is a picture of it. That this story shows us in, in, in one way what God is doing throughout history. And so yes, Joseph being where he is in Egypt is a partial fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that all of the families of the earth will she, shall be blessed. It's not the ultimate fulfillment of it, but it's the first part. Then we see God do this on multiple occasions throughout the Old Testament. I just want to draw our attention to two. We have to remember that Genesis is being written down during the Exodus. 
This is the time, a few hundred years after Joseph, that, that the Israelites who had been enslaved in Egypt are going, to be, are going to be delivered out of Egypt by the Lord, led by Moses. And in, in, in Exodus chapter 6, the Lord speaks to Moses and says this, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now, this is not the same Pharaoh. This is a long time later. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, uh, the Lord, I did not make known, myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you in the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession for I am the Lord. So the people who are hearing this for the who are hearing these stories, right? They, they've been told these things, but this is being written down during the Exodus. And here's the promise, right? The story of Joseph is a picture of their own deliverance. The story of Joseph, that God delivering him out of prison and setting him into a position of prominence is, is a foreshadowing of how God is going to do that for all of his people, delivering them out of Egypt and setting them into a position of prominence in the promised land. Now you fast forward a long way past that and we get to the people of God generations later in the promised land and they rebel against God. They're sinful against God and God continues to send prophets and warn them and there's enemies that attack and they return to God and there's this regular cycle of sin and repentance and judgment, right? And, and God restoring them and ultimately leading them into exile. But through the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord speaks and says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them far off from the nations, among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will move the heart of stone from, from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, and they, and they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be on, on my people, and I will be their God. The story of, the story of Joseph is told once again. Now, hundreds and hundreds of years later, in the story of the exiles, that God's people once again find themselves in a pit in foreign late nations, not just Egypt now, but spread. Egypt was one of the places where some of them ended up. Many of them spread out across multiple nations. And God says, I'm going to do then exactly what he did in the Exodus and exactly what he did in the life of Joseph. I'm going to liberate, Right? I'm going to place you in a position of prominence. The story of Joseph, now here's where this is leading. The story of Joseph in Genesis 40 and 41 is ultimately a resurrection story. 
not literal resurrection. Joseph didn't literally die in that pit, but it is a figurative resurrection story where God is redeeming his people from the pit or from slavery or from exile. This story is told time and again in the Old Testament. And we have to ask this question, why? Why is this story told time and again in the Old Testament? It's told time and again in the Old Testament to get our hearts ready. It's told time and again in the Old Testament to to get the people of God's mind focused on this pattern despair in the pit with faithful obedience and deliverance and resurrection, which leads us to this. Jesus Christ, who is liberated from the grave and exalted over all creation, offers liberation from sin and eternal exaltation with the promise of eternal life. The story of Joseph in Genesis 40 and 41, this resurrection story is seen in part in the Exodus. It's seen again in the return from exile, but it is fully seen in Jesus. That Jesus rises from the grave, exalted over all creation, then offering to us the liberation from our own debt of sin and ultimately promising us eternal life. This is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Now when he says there in accordance with the Scripture, surely the Apostle Paul means that the Old Testament foretells of the suffering Messiah, which it does in many places. But I think it's more than that. The story of the Old Testament What we see through these narrative events, like this story here is Joseph, is God getting people ready for what would happen through Jesus in God's timing, at God's moment, just like it was in Joseph's life. When when the Lord, when the time was right in God's plan, he sends Jesus, who according to the scripture, died for our sins and according with the scripture, was raised on the third day. It helps us. The Old Testament, these narratives of redemption, liberation, help us to get a better picture of what's happening in Jesus. So the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God liberating Joseph as a picture, as what's known as a type. Liberating Joseph out of that prison. Then what does he do? Joseph gets, right, exalted in Egypt What does the Lord do with Jesus? Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Go back to our text for a minute. What is it that Pharaoh says to Joseph? There will be no one, no one over you. Outside of the throne itself, there is no one here who has more authority than you, Joseph. And what does the father do with the son? The father exalts him, Paul writes, bestows on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This repeated story in the narratives of the Old Testament of liberation and exaltation ultimately lead to the ultimate liberation from death in Jesus Christ and the exaltation of him as Lord over all. 
It's okay. I believe that. But what do I do with it? What does that really mean to me? Like that's nice. It's, it's a nice theological point to make, but aren't I supposed to go to scripture and say, okay, what, what am I supposed to do with it? Here, here's what you do. You recognize that because Jesus was liberated from the grave and exalted over all, that he offers to you your own personal liberation and exaltation. But don't twist it and malign it towards your own ends. Recognize that the liberation and exaltation that Jesus offers to you is far greater than that that Joseph experienced. If the culmination of Joseph's experience in his liberation and exaltation in an earthly sense was to be second in command of the most powerful empire in the known world, then the liberation and exaltation offered to us from our sin is greater than that that Joseph experienced. It is better for you to be liberated from your sin and exalted in eternal life than it is for you to rule and reign in this temporal world. And the psalmist applies this same picture as he writes in in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Those who are in Christ are redeemed from the pit of our sin and exalted with Jesus in eternal life. And to take this beautiful picture of the scripture and to sell it as anything else is to malign the work that God has been doing since the very beginning. And here's the work that God has been doing since the very beginning, just plainly spoken. God, in his timing and in his power and his way, has been working to redeem sinful man back into a right relationship with God, culminating with Jesus Christ, freely offered to you today, if you will believe it in faith. And for those who have believed it in faith, then we live it in faith, recognizing that whether we find ourselves in the penthouse, the pit, or the palace, it does not matter because our sins are forgiven. Everlasting life awaits us. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this beautiful picture. Thank you, God, that you have liberated our souls from the depravity of our sin and set us with your son, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. I pray that people would believe that today unto salvation. And I I pray that those who have believed that unto salvation will live as if that is true, recognizing that no matter what happens to them in this temporal life, there is a far greater reward because our sins have been forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.